All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. <laughs> I am devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you. This is my boomstick. What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And as an epilogue to our summer movie fan fest, we bring you an episode that has been many months in the making. This is Better Let Me Tell You's DJ, the one and only. We've had uh, your, um, your esteemed partner Ish on here. And yes. he's killed it. So we, we're, we're definitely going to compete yeah, you, here. Yeah, right. the, 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 but the bar's high. So, yeah. The pressure. <laughs> the pressure. So, thank uh, you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. I, so, I, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm glad you're excited because I'm excited and I need your energy to match mine. All right. Because I need, I need to feed off your steam here. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things that we've done with every guest who's come on our podcast for the first time is ask what was your introduction to horror and why was it important for you okay so i'm actually going to break a lot of hearts here because <laughs> <laughs> i am not a huge horror fan um in terms of the genre uh like you guys are um I, for me it's more like a case-by-case -case thing mm -hmm. um i just the shining uh, since I was a little kid, I was always sort of obsessed with that movie. Um, and as I became older and I started understanding more about like the movie and the psychological aspects of the movie. And then I, and when I became even older, I became a movie buff and I started learning about like Stanley Kubrick and all the like technical aspects of how the original was sh shot and and all that, um, I guess I became a Shining expert. I mean, look, <laughs> I, have, I have my Jack Torrance. Oh, you guys nice. See in there? Nice. Yeah. I like it. It's got the axe? Yes. Awesome. Um, yes, it does. <laughs> and I've, um, I am, I've actually been to one of the hotels. Uh, I've been to the Oahe Hotel in Yosemite, which the interior of the Overlook Hotel is based on. And I have to tell you, like, that's how big my fandom is. Right. <laughs> went to this hotel um, that it's, I don't know if you guys have been to it. It is a replica of, well, the movie is a replica of the hotel. It oh, is, okay. it is quite something to see those red elevator doors to see yeah. the Colorado lounge. I mean, oh, it's, the Colorado room is just, right. oh man, I yes. can't imagine. It is quite something if you are a fan of, of the movie so th that's cool. how big my fandom is my goal is to go to all three hotels associated with the movie but right we can talk about that later <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh so we have uh the better let me tell you podcast it's amazing that the podcast is is coming in to to make this comment although i'm assuming it's ish so hi -ish. <laughs> yes. uh saying look at the branding kick ass yes. dj yeah. uh, I, I, I can't multitask that much <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Um, so I'm glad that you are so passionate about The Shining. Uh, unfortunately, I forgot because my memory is like shit. Yeah, it's um, shit. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's not like shit. It is shit. All right, I, 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 I have like a turd sitting in that part of my brain. Okay, and and when we did The Shining, uh, last year or the year before, yeah, it was right around this time um, last year. Yeah, I think so. I it totally skipped my my brain. It was just like right over my head, and I knew that it was your favorite horror movie, not just favorite horror movie, favorite movie, yeah. and. Totally forgot. Didn't ask you to be on the show. And so when you found out, you came to me and rightfully so said, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second. And we uh, have talked about this like <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and it's not like, well, you know, you're the type of person I see once every two years. Like I see you and Stephanie or communicate with you with another Every couple like weeks we see each other, <laughs> you know? So, um, I was like, man, I I goofed. I'm so sorry. Um, we can't do The Shining again because we just did it. Maybe in a couple of years. But we can definitely do Dr. Sleep. And you were on board. I was like, yeah, so, so excited that you were on board for that. Because at that point, when we were talking about this, we had not yet done a Mike Flanagan movie. And now we're coming off of doing a yeah, Mike I Flanagan know. movie two weeks ago. So also, I'm really happy. Also coming off a Joe Hill movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm really, really excited because this movie is so special to a lot of people, right? Uh, because it not only serves as an adaptation to Stephen King's novel, right? Um, which was hugely popular, hugely successful. The fans ate it up, right? But it also serves as a bridging a reconciliation, if you will, of the literary shining and the cinematic shining, mm -hmm. because these are two very different things. <laughs> there. So. Yeah. You know, there's uh, there's things that you say, OK, well, the movie had to do it differently because like in 1980, you couldn't do topiaries that come to life. Yeah, the CGI was not there. Yeah, you, you just you couldn't do that, right? To put that in perspective, what came out that year was Tron, right? And Tron, <laughs> for as advanced as it was, as great as it was, that gives you an idea of what CG was on the cutting edge. There's no way they could have done this, right? Yeah. So the hedge maze works. But the whole ending of the movie and, and the, the representation of Jack, I think, is very, very different from the novel. So, so you have now a, a work that is serving so many different functions, not just adapting the one story, but making that one story in a film work with the film that adapted the previous story and with the book that the book it's adapting is sequeling. So lots of really weighty stuff here. Hold on. Let, let me, let me, let me get the old flow chart. <laughs> it, it had it had an almost impossible task ahead of it yeah it was it, it, it was an impossible task so my question to you dj uh, i'm gonna kick it to you first does it work in either respect okay that's a great question starting question so yes and no so i obviously as a fan of the shining i was going to 
flocked to this movie. Um, look, The Shining is one of the greatest movies ever made, period. You know, in, 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 in any genre, um, you know, whether it's, I mean, you don't have to be a Stanley Kubrick fan to like The Shining, whether it's the the technology, the Steadicam, that was one of the first movies to use the Steadicam. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a, what do they call it? A modern day classic uh, horror yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, so I, I see it from two points of view. Naturally, you were we were going to see this movie as a sequel to The Shining, the movie. And, and nothing is going to hold up to that. I mean, it's just not. Um, no matter who's directing and no matter what the budget is, nothing is going to hold up to that. Because I also think that the, the Shining, the original movie, was lightning in a bottle. Like a lot of things aligned to make that movie what it was. Right? Um, so in that aspect, no, the, the, this movie doesn't live up to that. But I saw it more as what you, what you were saying earlier. This is a continuation of the story that is an ad adaptation of the book. So I see Dr. Sleep as the movie adaptation of the book, not necessarily the sequel to The Shining, the movie. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we're going to compare both movies. It's um, and it should be compared. And even though I'm saying this to you, I went in there comparing this second mo this movie with the original movie. But when I get critical about it and I say, well, but this is different and oh, but this is kind of cheesy or no, this didn't work. I, I Then I'm like, right, but this is not an adaptation. This is not a sequel to the Shining movie. If anything, it's a sequel cinematically to, I mean, if, depending the way you see it, to the Shining TV movie. or With Steven Weber. Yeah. That they did back <laughs> in the day. Um, but but that that's I, I I see it from two points of view. Um, it was never going to live up to the original movie, nor should it, nor should it. So fair, okay, yeah, yeah. I, like uh, when when I like when I was watching this the first time. This is so when I watched this last night, it was the uh, it was the second time uh, ish at the pedal. Let me tell you, podcast chiming in say hashtag justice for Weber. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. Always more Stephen Weber. Um, when I this is the second time that that I'd watched this one, and the first time when I watched it, uh, I didn't realize everything that they were trying to accomplish, everything that you kind of wrapped up there in the beginning. And so the first time through, I was floored by finding the connections to both things. I was thinking, man, that that's great. Like I, I was, I was, I was very interested in that. Uh, and and not that it's less interesting this time, but I, I got more out of it this time as a standalone film. Because mm -hmm. since I'd seen it already, I wasn't simply watching for shining connections. Mm -hmm. I was I was just watching and trying to focus on just the story and what I got here in Dr. Sleep. So to come at it from kind of the other side of what DJ is looking at, I think that as a standalone movie, this is really, really good. Um, and, and not saying that I don't think it's good as a sequel, but just looking at that one thing, I think that they do just enough here to tie it to the other one to where even if you've never seen The Shining, you get the idea of what happened without them do, pulling a uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 where they explain <laughs> everything that happened, you know, in the first act. 
And you so know, shit went down in the overlook. That's right, all. You exactly. Need to know. Exactly. It's like <laughs> something happened. Something scary happened to this child, and now he's a grown up with issues. And then you get back, and, and like if you've never seen The Shining, you're like, whoa. Look at this abandoned hotel. This is dope. <laughs> and so the, the there there are there are all the threads there to connect it to the shining, but there's also enough story here to make a very good movie. I found myself enjoying this more the second time through because I wasn't just viewing it as the sequel to The Shining. I was viewing it as just watching a movie called Doctor Sleep. And that brought me more joy when I watched this last night. Because I remember when, when we decided to do this, when I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I've seen that. It's all right. Like, that'll be a good one. And then as it, as it started rolling, I'm sitting there watching and going, this is, I don't remember this being this good. I don't remember, you know, but the first time through, I was tied up on silly stuff. Like, you wish you looked like Shelly Duvall, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, and so now, once, once, now that I was past all that, I just watched for the story that was presented to me here by Dr. Sleep. And what we got was a story with some great, anti- uh, great protagonist, great antagonist, uh, some scary moments, you, you know, could it have been scarier? Probably, you know, and, and we'll get there, but it had some really great stuff in there that just kind of washed past me the first time because I was just trying to look for shining connections. So I enjoyed it more as a standalone film this go round than when I was viewing it as a sequel. And so that was really cool for me upon second watch this time, because I do think that as a standalone film, there's a lot of really good stuff here and it tells a complete story because how often do we watch horror movies where we're expected to piece together somebody's past anyway. That's part of the movie Mm -hmm. is just piecing together what the protagonist has been through. That's left them this, you know, uh, alcoholic mess. And so you get those pieces that like DJ said, you know, shit went down at the overlook and now you can figure it out and do watching it that way. I liked it more. Yeah. And you know why I think, I, I I hadn't thought about it in the way that you you explained it about a standalone movie, but I think that one of the reasons why I can pull that off is because in this in Doctor Sleep there is a defined villain. Yes, yes. There's a defined villain. The what is it? The True Knots, Rosa mm-hmm. Hat. So this is what's going to set the story, right? Whereas in the in The Shining. The villain is what the hotel, like yes, yeah, it's an yes, ethereal it's, force, yes, right. So, but here there is like a tangible villain or villains that you can to to go with what you said. Um, can you can kind of not know the specifics of the backstory and just be focused on this story and this plot and and still enjoy the movie, right? And the ride. I, I have to agree with what everyone has said here, particularly with what you said, Daniel, that you liked it more the second time around. This is now the third time that I've seen it. I've yet to watch the director's cut, which I'm really interested in watching uh, because I know that there are a couple of extra scenes that are added there. And each time I do like it more and more because the more I watch it, the less dependent it becomes upon what came before Right. And and the more the more it stands on its own legs, the beautiful thing 
is that the more that you disassociate the movie with The Shining, the better what concerns The Shining becomes. Because Thomas Elliott's performance of Jack Torrance yeah. is absolutely brilliant in its yep. own way because it is not Jack Torrance as played by Jack Nicholson. Did right. you guys, did you guys know that was him the first time you saw it? Because I didn't. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Only, only because I knew that Flanagan had worked with him so much. So when I saw him, I was like, hang on a second. Who is that? And then I was like, oh, fuck. That's Elliot. That's Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he had worked with him quite a bit at that point already. So I I, I, I kind of expected it. Um, but it was a, a, sh a shock because I had no idea that Jack was going to be in the movie. Right. Yeah, and, and so it, like it's it's really interesting because you see almost like an alternate reality version of these characters that you already have become so familiar with, because it's not Shelley Duvall, but it kind of is. It's yeah, it kind not. Of is. Yeah, it's not Scatman Carruthers, but it kind of is. Yeah, mm -hmm. to the point where I I had a moment. Sorry, I was far away from the mic. Put my dog out. I had a moment where I was I was looking. I was like, look. I know that's not Scatman Carruthers, but also like, is it though? <laughs> is this man not aging? I need to know. <laughs> well, and, and that's the cool thing about this is that because it's not a true sequel to the film and because it's not a true adaptation of the novel of either novel. Right. It can exist in this like weird space where it can be what it wants to be. And and I think when you start looking at it as that, as this perfect amalgamation of reconciling what came before with what is there now, because how do you adapt a sequel to a novel that was adapted into one of the most iconic movies of all time, which is drastically different from the novel? Mm -hmm. It. Like we've said, it's an impossible task, and he found a way of doing it while being incredibly respectful of both sources. Right. And and is, is it as scary as one would want from a Stephen King adaptation? Not throughout. No. I, I, I do I do agree with that. I feel like the story takes over so often because the story is so damn good yes uh that that you could just get lost in the story like i feel like they could have spent an hour on just the true knot yeah and yeah. And, and and i i would have been okay with it and and we're, we're talking about a movie that's already over two hours long yes right so um which isn't long by most standards but by horror movie standards it's like all right come on kill someone else right right yeah like so, we, we, we always talk about that that 90 minute mark right like that's, right right especially especially with with horror it's like ah ooh, what, what are you gonna do here <laughs> right yeah and and we're half an hour over that 90 yeah. minute mark. so so it's it's um it's incredible to me what what was what was accomplished here um because even though it's not scary the whole time, when it is scary, I feel like it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, but but I, I think that that's consistent with the original. Because the original, it, with the, the, the movie, the original, um, it, it is a Shining. The Shining is not a gory movie. So, no. you know, how 
you couldn't take it in that direction because then it was just going to turn into something that it wasn't. And, but it's just terrifying when it's scary. It's, I, I don't think it's scary. I think it's terrifying. <laughs> like you're, you're, yeah. like you have this anxiety with the score and the music and the tone of like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it, and, and I think that that, that's why I, the, 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 the shining, to me, it's like a well, it is a psychological thriller because it really plays with your head and your emotions. It's not so much like a shock; it's like you're you're constantly like this throughout the whole movie. Um, so that is that is how Kubrick approached it. He didn't yeah. he didn't approach it as a horror movie. Everyone else called it horror. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think he ever did. I I, I, I yeah I don't I don't know if he did. I, I know that they always consider it a psychological thriller. I mean, it, obviously it gets thrown in the horror genre, but did you guys catch, because I didn't catch this the first time around either, the whole references to 1980? Yes, I mm -hmm. um, I have I have notes of like every time that I, I saw I saw a 1980 reference. Like I get I get really hung up on like looking at house numbers and stuff when I yes. watch movies and trying to make them make sense. This one was really easy. Sometimes it's not. Um, <laughs> but it's so... As we're talking, you were talking about is, is it be terrifying? Is it scary? We're talking about stuff like that. But so what we have here is the story of Dan and Abra and their fight against the knot. And the knot is out there just taking out. They call them people with uh, people with steam, but it's what we know as people with the shine. So yeah. when we're looking at just this one and we're talking about the story of Dan and Abra versus the knot. Is this, and I mean, you kind of approached this already, Dave, so I'll go to you first. I mean, is it a satisfying story? I think so. In fact, I think that the story is its greatest asset because you have a, even though it's just the only, it's the only time that we ever see this villain, Rose the Hat, is in this movie, in this book. I think that what Rebecca Ferguson did was like amazing like i would call it iconic at this point her look is oh. one that just like it sends chills down my spine when i see it now because there's something about the true knot and what they do that just works are they shining or are they more akin to vampires Right. Are, and uh, the really interesting, interesting thing is seeing this so quickly after watching Oculus is the thing with the eyes. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, is is he trying to say something with what they are with the eyes? Is there any connection to Oculus and some of his previous work here? I don't know. Just trying to find something. Right? <laughs> Maybe I'm grasping at straws. Right. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that the story is its best aspect now the story itself i don't think is scary like the story in the shining is scary right this on its own is not scary but the true not is terrifying mm -hmm. and and i think that for me as intense as the shining can be um you know the all those scenes of Jack running down the uh, the the overlook hallways, chasing Danny, chasing Wendy with that crazed look in his eye and an axe in his hand, you know, Wendy, you know that <laughs> shit like is terrifying. It's it, it's really scary. 
it doesn't scare me. It doesn't affect me the way that the true knot does in this. In particular, the scene where Trevor dies, the way that they say, okay, this kid is something special. We haven't seen something like him in a long time. And then the way that they do that. Yeah. To, to, to me was so affecting. So truth be told to, 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 I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to go on that because I think it's very important what yeah. you just said. And maybe it hit you different because you're the, the father of, well, now two boys. Um, I have an eight-year-old. And when I saw that movie, that part, it really affected me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he sounded like my son so much more that when I've watched the movie, I've, fa- I've fast-forwarded that part. And that's not something I generally do in a movie, but that affected me so much that, yeah, no, I don't need to see that part. I don't need to see again. So I'm uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, David, but I thought that that was like, that hit me right yeah, there. Well, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we, and we all have boys. And, and so, and I agree with you, man. And there's, you're talking about the true not just being terrifying. And, um, and I, 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 I do this every episode. There's always somebody else that I just refer to. Him as. I just keep calling her Jenny Lind. Right. Um, so, um, but when, when Rose is on top of him and there's, you know, you always get these scenes where, where somebody's getting murdered. That's, that's what we do on this podcast, <laughs> but there's, there's something even, there's always something scarier about a person who revels in, in the killing and, and the torture and stuff like that. Right. There's, there's always, that always makes it freakier. Cause it's like, okay, this person's broken, but then to get them and they're reveling in it because for them, there is a, like a, a positive outcome to your pain and your suffering. So they're they're doing more on purpose. That moment when she says something, she says something along the lines of the the pain cleanses the steam, or something like that, and the the fear cleanses the steam, the pain increases it, something along those lines. She delivers I that think it's line. Purifies the steam. There we go. No? Purifies. Yeah. 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 The way she delivers that line, it's it's not even just matter of factly like she's saying it from a textbook. It's you it, understand. You, yeah. It's just yeah. It, it's just it's there's there's genuine like feeling behind that to where she's so happy that he's screaming and in pain like that moment that scene is is yes terrifying but that moment when she says that man like it just shot straight up my back mm-hmm. to to hear her say it like I was oh yeah that that they scene is rough it. yes yes exactly they just. They and they, they need that. That's what's that's what's crazy about it. And I, I have to tell you that I thought that scene that has been because generally in you know and in, in even in horror movies, like the death of a child is something that is many times alluded to. It's not necessarily explicitly shown, but right. they went there in that movie, in this movie, and twice. Yeah, and and it it was that is that is something you don't see every day. <laughs> and they did not, they didn't like, you know, put the camera somewhere else, and you heard the kids screaming. I mean, no, you were front and center for, you know, this poor little boy being butchered, and yeah. and that was that was sh- actually that was shocking. I was not, I wasn't expecting that when I when I first saw it. 
Um, and as I said, it impacted me so much that I just, whoop, I fast forward. Yeah. I'm like, I see what's happening. But I'm like, I don't need to see this part. Yeah. Yet. You know, I, I, I didn't want to fast forward through it this time. Um, I say this time as if I've done it before. I, I, I have. <laughs> um, but I knew I didn't want to see it. Uh, because the, when I saw it in the theaters, obviously, you know, I was, it's there, it's going to happen. I have no idea what's going on until it's there. The second time I saw it, um, it was the most affecting part of the movie. So I like, I knew it was coming up and I was like preparing myself for it. Um, this time around, I was like, okay, because we're going to do the podcast, I want to see the whole movie right. all the way through. I, I don't want to leave anything out. And I uh, I cried. It was yeah. it, it, and if you if you watch some of the special features that's included with with the movie, um, on on the Blu-ray and stuff like that, um, Mike Flanagan talks about how he purposefully chose um, this actor um, Tremblay. Uh, what's his name? His first name can't remember now, um, and. He chose him because he is one of the most famous child actors today. And he wanted such a recognizable face of of innocence to be right. in all of our minds. Right. And that apparently he had been preparing this for weeks before he came onto the set. And when they started rolling camera for that scene everyone kind of just took a step back and was like whoa 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 what's what's going on they all these actors which were so gung-ho to like murder this child right were, like the scene ended and flanagan was like that was great you did an awesome job everyone else your take was unusable <laughs> because they were they they felt the way we did how very Stanley Cooper come in. <laughs> right. Did he need to do it 146 times? I don't I don't think they did it 146 times. I don't think he slapped anyone around. But um, but yeah, I, it, to me that the movie when it is terrifying is absolutely terrifying. And 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 more so than The Shining. Yeah, and I think that that scene was necessary because before that you know, we, we see them as like these kind of like messed up sort of hippie-ish group, you know, that lives in like a compound and whatever. But I think that that, that scene was necessary for you to really see the, the, you know, how far these people are willing to go to get the steam. Um, and it really, it, I mean, it, it does the job. It makes you really loathe them and hate them, yeah. which is necessary. Yeah. Um, for this obviously uh ish commenting on our previous comments says oh but for shelly duvall it was okay uh <laughs> kids today i tell you <laughs> yeah there's there's i love the story the, the story of danny torrance here that, that we're presented with is given to us in such a great way quick reminder of the the absolute traumatic past that he's had to flash forward to, man, this guy's a piece of shit. To, get, you know, a guy who's trying to get better. Then flash forward, okay, now he's a guy who's better, but his past catches him again, and he's he has to confront it. 
the story of Danny Torrance that we get here is really, really great. I do love that they give us a little bit of everything. They don't start us off with him get eight years sober and talking about how he was an alcoholic because of the trauma in his life. We get that, but it's after we get, you know, we don't get a long detailed thing, but uh, you know, one, one life in the night of alcoholic Danny Torrance, I got a pretty good idea of what this dude's existence is about. Like at this point, right. You know? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you beat a guy to death with a pool ball. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you were going to steal money. <laughs> she had the kids. You were still going to steal the money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. 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 You're oh, you, you know, what really got me of, of, of Danny, at, you know, modern day Danny Torrance <laughs> was this when he talks about, when his mom died and the thing with the flies. Yeah. Um, that I thought was very subtle and subtly terrifying as well. Cause you obviously get an image of that and, and it was like, Oh, this is not, yeah. <laughs> this is and, not fun. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really great to get this redemption arc out of somebody who for 40 years, his whole life in to our knowledge has just been this one horribly traumatic winter that mm -hmm. that's all that existed of Danny Torrance before we saw this. And so to get this really good and a, a redemption arc that makes sense, he didn't, he didn't go, you know, get, have to go to court and was forced to take it. This is a guy who realized he'd hit rock bottom and, and did it for himself which is a really cool thing. It that that trope of having to do it because you got caught doing something and and the the judge made you. All right, yeah, fine. I've seen Doc Hollywood too, right? But <laughs> the the idea of of him realizing and and choosing to get better. I really really liked that because I think that for all the movies we have with some sort of addict as a protagonist I feel like we don't get enough movies where somebody is genuinely just trying to better themselves, not because they killed someone or slapped their wife or did something awful, but just because your, your rock bottom doesn't have to be a felony, right? It can just be coming face to face with the darkness that your life has become. And I really, really loved this idea that he just got a look at his life, like a stone cold look at his life and just chose to get better. And then he took all the steps and they even, like I said, fast forwarded us eight years. So it wasn't like he was some guy who shot through AA in record time. They made us fully aware of the fact that eight years later, he is still struggling with this. And we should mm -hmm. be proud of the fact that Danny's eight years sober. And it was, it was just a really good story arc with a trope that's not used as well as it could be a lot of the time. And that was something that I got out of it this time that I didn't get that last time, was watching for the redemption of Danny Torrance. And I... I loved that. I am, uh, I've, I've never gone through a program or anything like that, but I have friends who have been through those and, and I have a lot of personal connections and it is, it was great to see it presented in a realistic way. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I loved that. Um, I think that's a good segue into uh, a section that I, um, 
I called steam powered. Oh, dude, was, you're, was you're really witty. Show notes titles were amazing today. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I'm really on point, and then sometimes I'm and sometimes I'm, you just, I'm just write lazy. Characters. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just say story characters. Um, <laughs> technical. Um, uh, today I, I I was a little extra. Uh, so uh, steam powered, right? Um, we have a cast that is, I think just as talented as it is diverse right um and and so when we're looking at this right um we have these incredible portrayals of characters that we're familiar with characters that are new um is there anyone that or or multiple ones that stand out for you um and if so, why? DJ, we'll throw it to you first. Um, so I I don't know the actor's name, um, but um, uh, uh, Rosa Hat's love interest. Um, oh, Crow Daddy. Crow Zach, Daddy. Crow Zach Daddy. McLaren. Okay. Or Zon. I excuse thought... me. Zon. Zon. Zon McLaren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because when I when I was watching it this week again, I was looking up the name of all the actors. <laughs> I thought he was. So good because the the scenes when he kidnaps um, Abra and he's just so cool driving the van and it's like yeah I'm taking you to be like killed and like a lot of good people died today you know yeah uh, people on your side just like how calmly he was and and it, he wasn't overly sinister about it either. Um, and it was just so, very matter of fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it was cold, but not also cold like that you hated him. He just seemed like he was having a regular conversation with this girl. And, it, you know, I, I often think, is this what the actor put into it? Like how the, how the actor portrayed this character in this scene? Or is that what it was supposed to be? Like, I always, those are the things that I always wonder in a movie. If this is what that a- actor brought to it. Well, and uh, that, because that's, it was just so cool. Yeah, so that that scene, and like, and you're right, and, he's, and everything's so chill and so matter of fact, and then he realizes that it's not Abra and still, like, not, no ch- no tone change, yeah. no, like, sudden whip around to look and see if she looked, just like, oh, this is an interesting trick. Like, who but are you, you can, now? But you can see it in his eyes. There's, there's like, um, I'd say it's beyond interest. I wouldn't quite call it fear, but there's a caution maybe that changes that's introduced right. in, into his mm-hmm. eyesight because the, the way he looks up into that rear view mirror and he's trying to see what's going on back there. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really great. Yeah. He was, he was great. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there, there's a bunch, you know, you, the, the initial one, of course is going to be Rose the hat. Right. Yeah. And you, you look and y'all, if, if y'all were looking for criticism from me about somebody who just happened upon a random witch in the woods in a cool hat and fell in love with her, you ain't going to find it. Right. Like been there. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I get it. Um, I like to think that Mike Flanagan went to Rebecca Ferguson was like, okay, so you're going to, you know, you're, you're Rose the hat. Okay. You've read. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's what we're thinking. You know, Stevie Nicks, like what if she were evil? It's like that's 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 the vibe, right? I need you to be 
The I need you to be the bizarro Stevie Nicks. And then she just slayed it. Like it just just incredible on it. You know, the the those moments when she's looking in on the when her crew just gets massacred. Oh man. And just like every time one of them gets shot and she's just like in more and more pain. It's just this incredible performance. She's she's so she goes from freaked out to or you know like from just noticing that there's a seer to freaked out to how powerful she is to super evil and pissed off and every bit of it is believable Mm -hmm. that's what gets me about her performance is every single thing she does i don't feel like i'm watching her play a different part i genuinely feel like she just has this range within character she never it was never like she became a different character oh this is angry rose no this is rose when she's angry and while that is you know a a ticky tacky semantic difference i do think that there's a big difference there it's it's keeping in character while showing us that range i i I did i i i I loved her and i mean like she's just she's just gorgeous gosh she's so gorgeous and (laughs) and like i said she'll she'll she's she's always jenny lynn in the heart right but gosh she's she just she was amazing Mm -hmm. um the the one that immediately comes to mind um for me is also rebecca ferguson as rose the hat um and and for everything that you said, so I'm I'm not going to add to that. So I'll I'll talk about who to me is the the second person I gravitate towards, which is Ewan McGregor as Dan. Uh, it's to me it's incredible how he's able to show his own performance of Dan, but also harken back to the helplessness of Danny. Right. Right. Because there's Dan and there's Danny. And also get at the disparity of Jack. Because there's all of that found Mm -hmm. in his performance. Um, Stephen King has said that The Shining is about a man who's afraid of losing his family to the drink and that Dr. Sleep is about the man who has found redemption in uh, moving away from the drink. And we see a lot of that intensity there. I love the scene where uh, Dan comes back into his room and he's got that bottle of scotch that that Abra's dad was drinking. Right. And and he's looking at it and he's about to take that swig and he gets dangerously close, dangerously close. And maybe it even touched his lips. And that's why he, you know, pulls it away in such a repulsive way and 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 shatters it across the floor. To me, I I don't know if you and McGregor has ever struggled with addiction. But it looks like he has because yeah. there, there was there was a um, there was a truth to that. Where you can tell that this guy really, really put himself in here, where even though Dan is 
King. And King has said that, that every protagonist in his books, he never sees them because he's looking through their eyes. They are him in some way. So Dan is King, but he was also Ewan McGregor. And, and right. that's to me, there's few characters in this movie that come to life the way that his does. And this is a movie filled with characters that are brought to life mm -hmm. because Crow Daddy's incredible because Rose the Hat's incredible. Abra's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Kylie Kernan. And she was 14. Yeah. Um, yeah like when this movie came out and she does she does this really good job. It's it's there's this really cool idea of the the not scared teenage female protagonist yeah. that that is that is under that is underexplored and then sometimes when when it is explored it's it's done so ham-fistedly mm -hmm. uh and what we got here with this performance out of Kylie Curran wasn't that we got a kid who was confident but not cocky yes right. yes she had she had a little bit of sass, right. right? But it wasn't like what you they usually resort to in movies with teenagers that they, you know, that it is about the sass and you know, they <laughs> they know better than you and they argue with you. She had enough to make it believable that yes, she was uh, a young lady. She was 13, 14 years old, but um but enough to as you said, okay, but she is confident. <laughs> like right. she's going to yeah. take this on. Yeah, um, like she was never, she was never, you know, just straight up damsel in distress, but also it wasn't to that point where you're like, oh God, like I don't care if they kill you, you know, which happens sometimes when you're right. watching a horror yeah. movie and there's, there, there's one of those characters you're like, well, if, if you die, it, uh, it doesn't affect me. She, the she never unlikable hero. Point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Uh, and so we, I, we, I think, we I think a lot of that has to do with the way the character is written. And I don't mean her attitude or her disposition. I mean, the fact that Stephen King created a character that is in every possible way, so much more powerful than every other character that I don't think she ever really needs to fear. Yeah. True enough. She was OP. Yeah. She, she's, <laughs> she's just totally, totally overpowered with, I mean, you would think that after she's just decimated, all of the true knot, with the exception of Rose. And she sees Spectre Rose looking on the road. Horrifying. Looking horrifying yeah. and beautiful. Like fear I, boner. I yeah, fear it, it was it was a total fear boner. <laughs> I was I was watching and I was like, please murder me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was like, I she walked right through her. Like, yes, she walked I'm on my she, way somewhere. Get out yeah. of here. <laughs> she looked right at her and she was like, You mean nothing to me. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. That's inc yeah. and so when when she finally meets her in the flesh at the overlook, she's not afraid. She's yeah. not she afraid. Was okay and, staying outside and waiting yeah. for the lights at the yeah. overlook. Like sure, the, <laughs> or the any random Tuesday. <laughs> the the moment that Rose realizes that she's been had by Danny, um. It's it's interesting because it's like it's a shared mind thing. Yeah, the, very inception. Yeah, it's very, it's very inception because Abra's in his mind, and that's how they were able to trick her. But even in there, like Abra's not afraid ever. Yeah, ever. Also, 
I mean, when, you, when you're looking at her power, they're in Danny's mind. They're very clear about that. Mm-hmm. But she still seems to, Abra still seems to have some ability to, to like exploit it. Right, mm-hmm. because she's she's in front of her, and then she's gone, and she's behind her. She slashes the knee. She sees her. She's gone. Like there does still seem to be some ability on Abra's part, while being in someone else's thoughts, dreams, whatever. She mm-hmm. still has the ability to manipulate them to what she needs to happen in that moment. So again, it just plays to what her power was in that situation, which is really cool. She she did a great job with that, and. It, it was it, it's it's refreshing because you know we we talk about it. It's great when kids play kids and and usually we're going oh so it felt realistic. This didn't feel like a kid playing a kid. It felt like a kid playing an adult, yeah. which is which is something that we don't get to say very often on this podcast. But she did it in a way that was that was great. Absolutely, yeah, she was really good. And so, you know, we we've we've talked about the fact that this is a sequel to the shining and, and there's, there's a lot that happens here that is only tangentially related to the shining outside of the shine, the actual thing, the shining and Dan Torrance. Most of this movie takes place in a realm where the shining never had to happen, but then we get that moment and we're back home, sweet home at the overlook hotel. What is easily, Easily one of the most iconic settings, not just in horror movie history, but in movie history. That that carpet, those elevator doors, everything that we see there. When we think about the idea of going back there, how significant was it to you that we go back to the Overlook? And I got to go to you on for, uh, first on this one, DJ, since you've been to the actual inspiration for the Overlook Hotel. How how significant was it to you that we ended back there? That that's where it all happens? Um, well, when I saw the movie in the theater, I jumped in my seat. I literally jumped in my seat when I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> when you know that like before they show the, the, the hotel on the outside, you have that uh, scene when they're going through the mountains. The, the sweeping shot. Yeah. It's the same sweeping shot as in the original. I was like, oh. Um, I mean, look, I I think everybody was expecting that. Everybody from an audience perspective, everybody was expecting to be back at the Overlook in in some capacity. Um, So, yes, that was very important. And I think because this story is the culmination of Danny, um, it made total sense that it was at the Overlook. Um, it was symbolic and, and I think that, um, you know, especially now since at the end of the movie, he now is, uh, a ghost, if you will. And now he, he speaks to, to, um, Abra. Um, I think that if you were going to kill off Danny, which makes sense in this, in the movie, in the story, it had to be in the overlook. It, right. just, it just had to. It couldn't be anywhere else. Um, and and especially in the way that he died, that he wasn't killed by someone else. He he died in the hotel by the hotel. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that was an that's an integral part of just the story. Because I mean, whether you're talking about Doctor Sleep the book or Doctor Sleep um, or The Shining the novel, the main character 
is the Overlook Hotel. Right. And, and there's few movie stories, what have you, that a character is uh, like a, a, a building <laughs> that like yeah. really is a character in a movie or in a story. And that is the overlook to this this set of stories. So it has to be in 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 it in some way. And and I thought that the way that they did it at the end with the the the, the score. I mean, they they used the score at the perfect yeah. time. They kept teasing you throughout the movie, throughout right. the beginning. Um, it, it all it all made sense, and it it made the the, the story what it is. Dave, uh, for me, it was incredibly important that they go back there because it's where the story begins. Right. And, and so to, to end the story where it begins, uh, I mean, we don't know if at some point King is going to write, you know, a, a third part to this and make it a trilogy. Um, he waited plenty long between the first two. So yeah, I don't think he can wait that long. <laughs> um, just, just as a, like a matter of fact, just, just I don't science. think he can. That's just science. Yeah. Uh, but in the novel, Dan lives, you know, Dan and Amber live at the end of the novel. So it's possible that there's something uh, more to the story. Taking it for what it is right now, which is a part one and a part two. This is to me like it, it had to happen this way because in the novel, the original novel, it burns down. Right, mm -hmm. right. Jack has avoided uh, doing what it is that he needs to do around the Overlook because he's pretty much been possessed by it, right? And that's kind of what happens here. Yes. And, and I think this is the most significant way that Flanagan puts that spin on this where it's like it's not quite an adaptation of – the novel and it's not quite a sequel to the movie it's this like special area where it's doing both these things and doing none of those things at the same time mm -hmm. because it's not the colorado lounge isn't exactly the way it was right flanagan says this he says there's no way i'm going to be able to do that so i made it my version of the colorado lounge and and so we we finally get to see this boiler room Okay, yeah, and, and and that to me, like that's that's such an incredible thing, because Dan finally assumes the role that we should have seen Jack take in that first movie, right? And we get the exact same line that Danny tells Jack, you know, that you're not, you're not my dad, you're you're just a a, a mask, and and you're the hotel. You know, yeah. and that's what makes them drop the like it, it was it was so great to 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 go back there. It, it it needed to happen there. And the fact that we see it all happen in its own particular idiom, where it's not Jack Nicholson's Jack Torrance, it's Thomas Elliott's Jack Torrance. It's not Shelley Duvall's um Wendy Torrance. It's um, Alex Esso, I think her name is. Uh, it's it's her, Wendy Torrance. And we get to see the Grady twins. And we get to see Delbert Grady. And we get to see all of them. Uh, Miss Massey. We get to see them all. And it's incredible because they are hearkening back to those original characters. But in a unique way. In their own particular way. 
And so in a lot of ways, it it is and it isn't the Overlook Hotel. It's its own special little place that allows this movie to exist in both those universes. And it, it's it, it it functions as as a as a plot device, but it also functions as a way to bring about that nostalgia. Where right. you see where, where where you see the carpet, and you're like, "Fuck, that's the carpet in my nightmares," right? <laughs> where, where where you see that mint green bathroom, and you're like, "Fuck, oh, oh no, I know what's coming," you know. And it, it, it's it, you hear even the the big wheel going yeah. from carpet to yes. wood floor to rug yes. back to carpet. It's yes. iconic and it sounds like it, but it doesn't because it's fresh and it's new. And it's 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 it, it, almost like what happened in Ready Player One where we got to go back to the Overlook Hotel, right? And we got to experience it with, uh, with all of uh, those players, right? It's kind of the same thing. It's a fresh and new take on the Overlook, and it, to me, it, it the movie would not have worked as well had it been a straight adaptation of Doctor Sleep and not gone back to the Overlook. Yeah, I, there's you know there's a word that you used right at the end there where you just said it you know there there's the nostalgia to it, but it's not something that they that they killed. You know they didn't give us half of the movie. In, in the overlook they they went back they gave us just enough which you know you reference ready player one some i i i enjoy the book ready player one a lot mm-hmm. but sometimes but why watching the movie like the sensory overload of the nostalgia for so it's such heaping amounts for such an amount of time mm-hmm. it, it does get to be a bit much and this movie does it just right this is something where they they go back they give us just like just just like just enough just enough of what happened there to remember you see the typewriter you know uh, dan has got the axe we see the holes in the doors just a couple of flashbacks mm-hmm. but and we said something about this up at the top my favorite thing about going back was this idea that Dan would get to confront his dad uh, where, you know, he'd given the speech about how the only way he could ever relate to his dad was when he was blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. Then he, now he could relate to him because he had gotten clean, but now he gets to be face to face with him. He's saying he's Lloyd, but we're looking at him. We're like, okay. But the other thing is I love that when we went back, I do love this portrayal of the Jack Torrance character by Henry Thomas. I really, really like what he brought to. Shit, I've been calling him Thomas Elliot. It is Henry yeah, Thomas. Thank it you. It is Henry <laughs> Thomas. Yeah, I was. I was. I wasn't going to call you out. I was just going to drop it right there and then see if you if you just kind of let it roll. Um, Thomas Elliot, because he's but fucking yeah. Elliot and his last name's Thomas. That's what the fuck I was. I was like, how did I get there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but so this this portrayal of of Jack Torrance um, by by Henry Thomas because he didn't try to be. Jack Nicholson's Torrance, mm-hmm. right? He he didn't do that. And I think that that was really important because when we go back to the Overlook, we're not, if, 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 you're, if you're Dan and you, and the, the, the house is messing with you, it's not going to show you the version of your dad that 
attempted to kill you and your mother, if it genuinely wants to pull you in and, and get you drunk and, 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 and pull you to the dark side, like it did your dad, it's going to show you a version of him that, that is more touching to you. And so I think it's really, really important that, that we did get somebody different and he didn't try to put on the, you know, every, everybody and their mom's got a Jack Nicholson impersonation, right? He didn't, yeah. he didn't try to do that. He just, he, he was just enough, just enough Jack. And I think that that was really important. I, I think that they did a lot of like great quick shots and stuff like that, that, that just reminded us of what the overlook looked like. But one of my favorite overlook callbacks in this movie wasn't actually at the overlook. I love that the, when he meets the doctor who runs the AA meetings and he goes into that doctor's office. Oh my God. Yes. It's exactly it's the, the, it's the manager's office from the overlook in the first one, complete with the impossible window, like the mm -hmm. weird mailbox yeah. that doesn't seem to be stacked. Right. The walls that seem too narrow, the Pepto-Bismol mm -hmm. color. It's the same office. Your omen. Yeah. And like, that's the first moment when you're like, whoa, creepy. But, that's, but I feel that those are like Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, absolutely. Yeah. But like that, that was like my favorite one because that office is one of my favorite things in The Shining because I love the, I love all the conspiracy theories about the impossible window. Right. Yeah. So I love that they like put a tree behind it. Like, but, but this one's a real window. So don't <laughs> spend, don't spend 40 years of your life in chat rooms talking about how this window shouldn't exist. There's a tree beyond it. So they, <laughs> they went ahead and squashed that, but, but I loved that being in there, but I, I agree with you guys. You, you had to go back there because that was the final nail in this being that ultimate bridge was just that idea of, all right, look, a lot of people were upset that Jack didn't go out like this, so we're going to get you that ending, and now we're going to let Danny go out like a boss, and and it worked. It worked, and they did a great job with it. Let me ask you guys something, because this is, uh, it's something I had always thought about in terms of the, the first movie, and definitely now with this one, because you could certainly, you could certainly make the argument that Dr. Sleep is a bookend. It could continue, but it could also be a bookend. I instead of a third part, wouldn't it be great to have a prequel? Of to see Delbert Brady story. Yeah, yeah, yeah to see Brady story. Yeah. I want to go back to July fourth, nineteen twenty-one. Like, like what? What happened? Why? Like, I've always thought that. Like, with the picture of Jack in, yeah. in July fourth ball, like. What happened there? Like I, I've always wanted to know. I and 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 with this movie, potentially it could be a bookend. It like I would love to see a prequel. Like you know the what happened in the Overlook, and and you could have the character of Jack Torrance or or that incarnation of whatever you know um, it is. Uh, I, I just I think that that would be a great kind of like. Uh, you know, go at in terms of the story because why is the overlook the overlook? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, things happen there. Supposedly it was an Indian burial ground. I mean, yes, all these series, but what happened there? Yes, we talk about it in, in, in the first movie. A lot of things have happened here in the overlook. It's like burnt toast, <laughs> you know? Um, but, but what happened? Yeah, but, but like what? <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah. there's there's something in particular that I it, that you mentioned and, and it, it reminded me of something. Um, the Jack that we see in the gold room, 
which I think is the most significant version of Jack that right. we see in the movie. Because yeah, we've got that flashback of of Henry Thomas uh, <laughs> as uh, as as Jack running down the halls. You know, Daddy, Daddy boy. You know that that's great. That's awesome. But th- that's him doing Jack Nicholson do Jack Torrance. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he's in the gold room, he's no longer doing Jack Nicholson do Jack Torrance. He's doing the Jack Torrance that now is part of the overlook. Right. And, and it's a, it's a different Jack. It's a Jack that is equivalent to what Grady was earlier because Grady doesn't seem to be the same man who murdered his family. He doesn't seem to really know that that happened, that his daughters are here. He's just always been there. Always. The same way that Lloyd has always been there. Yeah, that's right? how I see it. That it's whatever the entity of Jack Torrance is now Lloyd. Um, yeah. So it's it's incarnation of Lloyd is now the entity of Jack Torrance. So it's similar but different, different but similar. Um, right. Which which totally works in a new movie with a new actor, you know, because right. it, it doesn't have to be the same um, because it's not. And I'd be interested to find out if in a prequel, Jack is still there. Since yeah. He's well, he now is. a part, since he's now a part of the, the entire history of the overlook, will Jack be there to fuck with Grady? Will Jack right. be there to fuck with the other guests? He, he is, and I don't want th- I don't want that to be like the focus of it. But if there's like just one scene in there somewhere, he was where, there in 1921. So yeah, you know, oh, we, and, he is for sure there. Um, and th- there. There's this there's this idea to be had about that that like the overlook is is quantum. You know, mm-hmm. like Dave, uh, Dave, you said something earlier where you were like, you know, it it it. What you're talking about this being the bridge between book and movie and sequel and all this and there was a phrase you used where it was like it's it's both of those things and it's neither of those things right like that's 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 such a great way to describe just the overlook in general because there's that idea that yeah once you become a part of the overlook then you're instantaneously part of the entire history of the overlook like the overlook the the overlook exists um, you know, everywhere, all at whatever that movie. I was going to try to name that. Everything, everywhere, all at, once. all at once. There yeah. we go. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Right? There, there's this idea that the Overlook is like this quantum entity, and so yeah, he was there, and yeah, he's you know he's always been there to talk to Dan in the future too, because you just you become the Overlook, which is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So the wow, last so many thing... ways you could go with it because yeah. now, now you know, now Danny is a part of the Overlook, right? So, yeah. And how so you how will use... he, how will he Continue interact with the uh, with with his dad? How will he yeah. interact with everyone else? Yeah. Oh man, when he gets to meet yeah. bathtub lady before she's gross. <laughs> now that's, that's interesting. I, that's I'm what I'm pretty sure that on. movie exists. I'm <laughs> waiting. I'm waiting for bathtub lady to get out and be naked and hot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, she is only for a split second. <laughs> yeah, 
like, for 1985. Right. Where's the extended <laughs> cut of that? That's that's what I'm looking for. But you know, but that's why I was saying about a prequel. What happened in Room 237? Right. Which, which, I mean, honestly, that's part of why it makes it so scary that we we don't know what happened there, right? That's that's part of the whole thing of the Overlook that we we really we know, but we don't know. So we can only guess what happened there and what happened in Room 237. What's her significance? That's what makes it scary. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you really don't want to continue that trajectory, yes, let's not have a prequel, but, you know, for us who really want to know, like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the last thing that, um, I think we should talk about before we, we rate this movie is, um, something I call the Flanagan factor. Um, because alliteration's awesome, right? Um, and so I, I think in, in this movie, what we get is uh, as much respect for uh, Stanley Kubrick as an individualized voice, right? Uh, vision, Flanagan's vision, right? Um, what what does that accomplish for a movie that is trying to stand on its own and function as a sequel? Uh, and Debone, I'll throw it to you. What, what does Flanagan bring to the table here in this style? You know, what we're always going to talk about, and we're, we're, we, we, we love Mike Flanagan. We've, we've, made, we've made no qualms about that. If anybody listening knows the guy, you know, send him over to shiverpod.com. <laughs> so what we're always going to talk about with Mike Flanagan are – he knows what's scary. Like he gets it. He knows how to scare in all the different ways. He understands what DJ very eloquently stated earlier about how the movie's terrifying, but not necessarily scary. Mm -hmm. He knows where to draw that line. He understands the depth of what it takes to scare people at different levels. What he also is always going to bring is there is an unbridled passion for the horror genre that this man has that is few and far between and it's he is somebody who man he just gets it and he loves it and he never wants to present something that he doesn't feel is respectful of the genre respectful of in this case the source material and a part of that source material being the fact that as much as the original shining is the an adaptation of a stephen king novel it's a stanley kubrick film which mm -hmm. is which is something that you know one of the reasons that it draws a lot of ire there are a lot of people like oh it's just it's just a stanley kubrick film i don't get it and yeah cool I will never fault anybody for not getting Stanley Kubrick. It took me a long time, right? A long time to <laughs> really start to pick up what this guy was doing and why it was a big deal. And so on top of just having, you know, the respect for Stephen King as somebody who did this, you can tell that there's a lot of love for Stanley Kubrick. While he did seek to bridge that gap, it wasn't like he set out with this idea of, okay, Stanley Kubrick screwed this up and I'm going to retcon this. No, 
He said, I need a way to make Stanley Kubrick's vision and Stephen King's vision both exist in the same reality. And he always seems to have respect for whatever he's doing, whether it be an established mythos, whether it be something new that he's creating. I, I can only assume that he is great with the people that, that work for him because they always have such good performances. And so I think that every, I think that the Flanagan factor is always going to boil down to respect, respect for everything that goes into making a movie and, and taking that and then running with it. And that's what we get from him. DJ. Yeah. I'll, I'll everything, everything uh, you just said, um, he had an impossible task here. He just did. I mean, this was whatever he did or didn't do was going to be criticized. Right. Right. And there are people who are going to hate it. He had an impossible task. I actually, I enjoyed the fact that even the scenes of the overlook, they were not copied. They weren't like the steady cam. They weren't necessarily slow like in the original movie, um, which he could have done that. He could have gone that route. Um, and that would have been more of a copy. The The scenes of the Overlook feel completely different. Um, and, and I think that that's obviously what he brought into it. I think that he had more flexibility with the, you know, beginning of the movie with, with, all the other scenes that don't take place in the hotel. Um, I, I thought, for example, the the scene where Rose gets her hand in the filing cabinet, Ugh. I think that that is so gory, right? Yeah. And it's funny because that didn't have to be gory because it, she could have gotten her hand stuck in the filing cabinet and injured it and called it a day. Um, but it was so gory. And I think that that was probably one of the, you know, his visions of it, like, okay, this is going to be like really effed up. Like, yeah. um, you know, uh, which, which make it, you know, it, it's one added thing to the many that make the movie terrifying. Um, so I, I just, I appreciated that despite the fact that this being an impossible task, even the parts that, he had to go back and revisit from the original movie. They were not copies of the original. Um, and that's how do you balance that? So yeah, it's, a, it's a fine line between homage and like you said, just copying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that part of that is that he truly throws himself into everything that he does. And um, we know that he's a fan of The Shining because he's spoken about it. Um, as I have to imagine, he's a fan of like Shirley Jackson. And that's why he tackled something like uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Or right. he's a fan of um, uh, The Turning of the Screw. You know, and that's why he made The Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, but there's a level of almost obsessiveness that has to go into being able to study someone's style 
And yeah. I think that's what we have here is that it was not a replication of scenes. It was a almost replication of style when necessary. Because as, as a musician, right, as a guitar player, I can – I can play whatever I hear in my head and do it with ease because it's coming from me. But if I were to try to do a cover of, I don't know, a Led Zeppelin song, I would be playing that song the way I play the song. It takes a special kind of musician to replicate exactly the style that someone does without making it just a copy because I feel like almost anyone can say, this is what was done. We're going to do exactly the same thing, but it takes talent to say, this is how it was done. Let's do it like that. <laughs> let's do let's do it like that. Those are two very different things. It's not, let's do what was done, but let's do it how it was done. Because you can do your own thing how it was done. Because we see the Grady twins and it's done a little differently. Right. But it's done in the same style and that Kubrickian style. Right. Uh, we see Jack coming down the hall and it's similar, but not exactly the same. But every time that we flash back and those flashbacks are quick, man. Yeah. The movie does not rely on those flashbacks, but it adds a level uh, of complexity to the film that I feel like only someone like Mike Flanagan can do because he is, before everything else, a fan. Yeah, he he loves horror the same way that you and I do, Daniel. Yeah, uh, that the way that you occasionally do, <laughs> <Daniel>. <laughs> um, uh, and and more so. Because I've never sat down and said, I love this so much, I'm going to make a movie. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. And then the fact that you know his, his talent goes beyond being able to visualize shots. His talent as a writer. His talent as an editor. I mean, this guy does it all. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like that I'm a fan of comic books. And you can always tell who the real talent in a creative team is when uh, a penciler has a new inker come on to their, their art. So like someone like Jack Kirby who created Captain America and Thor and all these guys, uh, he inked his own work. So, you know, his style, but there's guys like Frank Miller who, you know, revitalized daredevil and batman and all these guys and his art looks very different yeah when klaus jansen is not inking his work so that's how i feel about editors and that's how i feel about writers there's this mix that works and when you remove one piece from that puzzle sometimes it doesn't work so well mike flanagan is the whole puzzle if we were ever to have his movies edited by someone else I think we'd start to see, oh, wait, no, 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 bring him back. Put him back back in the editor's chair because it takes longer for him to get his work out there. Some directors put out, you know, one a year. 
but you know, it's it's been a year since uh, or two since Midnight Mass, and he's been hard at work on on what he's working on now. You know, two the, things on, on two things. Yeah, th- this is incredible. I don't know that he's edited right these shows because he's doing what is it? it's Midnight Club, which is Midnight like, Club it's like a teenage and show. Follow the House of Usher. Follow the House of Usher. So w- we'll see. If, you know, it, it, there's there's a difference in quality there, but I, I really do think that he is the key there. You know, he the, the, he's got that Flanagan factor, which and, is and go- to go with oh. what you're, you're saying, David. Um, he could have he could have taken the easy way out and sort of replicated it the way it was. And and I think fanboys would have been happy. They would have been like, oh, yeah. we're back here again, you know, in the same way. Or uh, just use stock footage. Just use yeah, just, the footage from before. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. He could have done that. And mm-hmm. um, and he didn't. Uh, so he was, he had the balls to go ahead and be like, I'm going to go ahead and take my shot or my stab at, um, you know, uh, recreating this, which only happens to be one of the, you know, premier uh horror movies of all time so you know no easy task uh friend of the show andrew chacon uh welcome andy glad glad you're here uh he says there's there's a difference between ripoff and homage and flanagan was able to take something great and make it his own without ruining it the guy is so underrated absolutely he's so underrated yeah Um, and we like he's underrated by us and all we do is sing his praises and yet i still feel like we don't do it enough not enough yeah like this guy's incredible yeah like he's he's married to i think one of the most gorgeous actresses uh working today uh kate siegel yeah who works with him a lot and i think she's the lucky one in the relationship <laughs> that's 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 how much love i have for mike flanagan and i still think he's underrated <laughs> so that is going to take us to the last step the last thing we've got to do and that's where we've got to rate this film now just as a reminder we do only rate a movie against itself so while we have spent a lot of time comparing this to the shining and DJ, I know it's going to be tough for you. We've got to just look at Dr. Sleep by itself, <laughs> not comparing it to The Shining. So the, now the other thing is we create, a, we create a unique rating system to help us do that. DJ, were you able to think of anything? We should rate I it did. out of five possible what? I did. I give it four axes. Just get axes. Axes, I like okay. it. Solid. <laughs> so you're going four axes? Yes. All right. Dave, what about you? Uh, dude, I'm giving it five axes. Um, you know, I, I think that both as, as a sequel to the shining, the film, and as an adaptation of Dr. Sleep, this thing just works. It works in every possible way. It blows me away. Every time I watch it, every time I watch it, I I feel like I, I come to love it more and more. I feel like it's scary. And 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 it's disturbing and 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 it's it's interesting more than anything, because it, it I feel like there's movies that have great stories and don't scare. And then there's movies that scare but don't have great stories. And I feel like is the balance always there? Not necessarily. I don't feel like it's scary the whole way through, but I also don't think that was the intention of the movie either. I think that there was such a focus on story because. King and Flanagan were concerned about telling Dan's story 
And, and I feel like we got that and it was scary and it was touching and it was everything you wanted it to be. And Mike Flanagan, I love you. And uh, <laughs> please, please come on our show because you're, you're the man. Andy calling you up for your man crush here. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't, Mm, and I've got to now, like I've been like, all right, they're going to vamp for a minute and I'm finally going to be able to make this call. And like, I'm still right there and I'm trying to decide between four and a half and five. And, and I didn't think I would be that high going into it last night. But like I said, watching it last night, not just as a, a shining sequel, but it's just the movie Dr. Sleep put this movie over the top for me and, and you know what to hell with it. Yeah. I'm going five too. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it does so much. And Dave, you, you said it, you know, there's, there's always this idea of how do you balance story and scary? How do you create one that's good without taking away from the other the the idea that this that story versus scary isn't a pizza in this right you don't have to have less of one to have more of the other is what really puts this over the top we get some good we get some good scary moments but the movie as a whole is terrifying and i think that what is really putting it over for the top for me is when you made that distinction very early on in the show dj because i said at the top could it be scarier yes and and it could but you were absolutely right in the fact that this movie is terrifying. It, it settles into you more so than it makes you jump. And, and that, that, that statement is putting me over the top. And I'm going, I'm going five axes on this one. Uh, so if I'm mathing correctly, which I know I'm not, um, five plus five plus four divided by three rounding up gives us five, five. so we've we've got five axes five axes we got a, we got ourselves a perfect score here yeah and uh and i am i ain't complaining because, <laughs> uh fuck it's awesome and fuck this was awesome dj dude i love you man i'm so glad and and, and i love you jack i love you jack uh, I, i'm so glad that we were finally able to do this our our epilogue to our summer movie fan fest uh at least i'm calling it that um i mean you know better that you know make it significant right you know we're, it's we're, a significant movie Exactly. We're, 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 we're tacking it on there like that episode of, uh, of Sandman that just suddenly dropped all of a sudden, even though the series has been out for weeks, which, by the way, it was spectacular. I still um, haven't seen it. Oh, God, dude. So good. So, I've... DJ, before we go, let the people know where they can find you. How should they be listening to your show? Tell them about it, man. Sure. Uh, so, pero let me tell you, we are a current events podcast with, as my co-host Ish says, we're, we talk about um, anything, everything, and nothing at all. <laughs> um, you know, it's... Uh, current events and cultural issues from a Miami kind of Latin uh, perspective. Uh, you can find us at, pero let me tell you, on uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a Twitter and we have now a TikTok. The podcast, the actual content, you can find it wherever your favorite podcasts are at. We're on Apple, on Google, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Uh, we're on all our platforms. And if, if you have not checked them out yet, if, if you don't know that they're, if they're going to do something that interests you, just go to their Spotify and scroll through their episodes, because I guarantee you, you're going to find a guest that they have had on the show. That's going to interest you. You guys pull 
all sorts of people for the show. It's it's incredible who you've had on there. We we have we've had a really big roster of um people. We had um we both Ish and I have had like our dream guests come on the show. Like when we first started the show, we had a short list of like what our dream guests would be. And we're like, these people are never gonna come on our show. These are like legit actors, like they're not <laughs> gonna come on our show, and they have. Um so it's it's it, there's something for everyone um and um it's funny it's thought-provoking it's, it's a good time yeah i, I was listening laugh and learn <laughs> there you go i i was it, it's a funny okay so not being down in miami not being uh you know um hispanic or anything my, one of my favorite things that i didn't realize was like a regular thing in in conversation i guess when you when you're bilingual with with english and spanish i, lo I love uh i think jeff jeff called it spanglish we're like you guys are yeah. just talking and then just like a spanish word just like flies in there yeah. like all the time and it's just i don't know there, there, there's something about it that's listening that makes it feel really it it, it the authenticity really shines on your show i, I think you guys are great thank so. you thank you that's the ultimate compliment ish always says that uh, the conversations we have on our show are conversations we would have. We're just recording them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so make sure you head over uh, and check them out on all the stuff. You can also, if you are interested in more from us here at Shiver, you can head to the new and improved shiverpod.com where you will find links to all of our social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also find links to download the podcast from wherever you may listen right there and a link to our YouTube channel. And as you're out there and you're subscribing to all this stuff, we've gotten a lot of likes here recently. Uh, we appreciate everybody out there giving us likes, follows, all of that stuff. Big one right now, if you could hit that subscribe button on the YouTube, that would mean a lot to us. We've got to reach a certain number before we can get our own like youtube.com slash shiver pod. And so I'm working on getting It'd be nice to have a home. Right, exactly. So we, we need we need some more subscribes uh, on the on that. So if you watch us on here, if you're just listening, even if you don't watch us on here, but you have a YouTube account, go click that subscribe for us. It would mean the world. And we love every one of you guys who's out there commenting, sharing our memes, trying to have a lot of fun with it. Our John Carpenter one yesterday kind of took off. And so that, that was a lot of fun. So um, head to shiverpod.com where you can find the link to all of that stuff. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us, you're on Shiver. Fright you very much.